Hey everyone, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge, and today it is time for part two of my interview with Garrett Haynes, Chief Mastering Engineer over at Tree Lady Studios. I hope you guys enjoyed the first part. There's a lot more info on this one. Uh, he goes into a little more of some technical stuff and answers some questions that maybe you always wanted to know the answer to. So um, let me know what you guys think of this show, and uh, go like Tree Lady Studios on Facebook, and hopefully... You know, maybe one day you can use them for mastering or maybe just email Garrett and say, hey, thanks for doing the interview. So check it out. Okay, so now I know we've sort of answered this a little bit, but it's sort of a, a related question. So based on your experience with some of the pitfalls we've talked about with mixing, okay, are there any pieces of gear, you know, that or some other upgrade that you could recommend to mixers um, like, a, you know, we've obviously talked about some different practices they could do, you know, leave headroom, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, but are there, is there any piece of gear that you think really would help someone? You know, if you're thinking out of the, you know, if you can categorize the, all of the mixes that you get on sort of on average, you know, man, if everyone had, you know, better monitors, right. my job would be easier. If everyone had a treated room, you know, or if everyone, you know, if people used a mix bus compressor or an analog one or whatever, man, I feel like my mixes would be better. I mean, what, what would you think was the most important thing? I mean... Well, you know, this isn't sexy, but I have to say the most important thing to spend your money on are your monitors, okay? And very close after that is some sort of monitor controller that's transparent. Um, the Cush one is pretty nice. It's $500, but I think they're changing it uh, when they go to market, so I don't know if it's going to be around. Uh, because things like the Ma the Mackie Big Knob, they're, they're affordable, but they're really not made for what we do. They're made for other things. Sure. So, but having a pair of monitors that tell you what's going on and that translate is just the most important thing. It like monitors are like your girlfriend boyfriend. I can't pick them for you. For instance, I love the Mackie HR824, 828, whatever. The guys here hate them. Um, mm -hmm. There are people that love the Atoms. I can't get with those. Sure. Um, gotta get a pair of speakers like, um, and one of the other problems is from people in the US, some of the nicest speakers are made from other countries. Like Focal is phenomenal, but they're made, I think, in France. and. Uh, yeah. ATC and some of the other folks that make phenomenal speakers, I think they're made uh, overseas. So, um, also the room you're in, there are physics about how big the room needs to be, and ultimately you'll we we never all have the room we want to have, especially if you're working in your house. But you know, getting some acoustic things to make sure you don't have standing nodes that are either canceling or. Um, uh, coupling to be louder than they are. Your whole monitoring situation is the most important thing. And the reason I say this is uh, uh, Ray DeLeo used to work here at our studio, and Ray had done Henry Rollins, Filter, Billy Idol, a lot of stuff, uh, Grammy and Platinum Records. And when he had moved his system in, something happened where his iLock didn't come with his Pro Tools system. So he had to mix an album, and he didn't have any of his plugins. He only had what was given in Pro Tools 9 or 10 and mm -hmm. but he had his monitors and he mixed that doggone album it sounded good and he used just the just the plugins he had in the box plus a couple of small outboard things he had sure. and 
And but he had his monitors. He had a pair of NHT Pro. These little powered guys are like maybe four hundred a pair. They're his version of NS tens. He had those, mm. and he had some bigger uh, Dyne audios. The not super big, some medium ones that were earlier than the powered ones. They were they needed an amp, and um, the man mixed an album with the plugins that come with Pro Tools because yeah. he knew had his monitors. Yeah. So I mean I. One of the hardest purchases I've ever had to make was when I decided to buy barefoot MM35s. <gasps> wow, they're so not ni- they're so nice, but there's so much money. But yeah, you don't I mean, regret it, I mean, do you? But after I did, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is great." I realized how bad I am. Yep, your you life know? changes. And, and and everything changed. Everything changed from when I record to when I listen to music. You know, I would I would pull up songs. I think one of the most amazing things is I would pull up mixes from you know, let's say 1998, like something from Goo Goo Dolls or something. And I'd be like, wow, this sounds amazing. Or I didn't you know, know that was in there. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, I was listening to some Goo Goo Dolls the other day. And I was like, oh my gosh, that kick drum is huge. You know, and you never, you never realized it. And that was so amazing to me when I, when I got these. Because before I was using these, I was using uh, the CMS series from Focal. Right. And Which, while those are great speakers, but this is um, a big jump. You know, they're they're smaller. You know, they don't have the low end response that the barefoots have. Um, you can't really hear the dynamics as much. Um, they're ported, so the low end is a little squishy. Right. Um, you have to go to the SM7, I think, a to get. Sure. And I think those are what are those five or six thousand a pair, and the barefoots are like seventy five. So so they're kind of neighbors. You know. Sure. Yeah. And you know. They, I think people have this idea, you know, and I'm the same way as you. I can't stand Atom monitors. I don't understand that the ribbon tweeters weird me out. Right. Um, it, it sounds really like wispy, if that makes sense. I just, I, I but can't. I, yeah, and there are people that can't live without them. I mean, so yeah. no, I don't want to, I don't want those folks writing in because we don't have the same skulls and the same ear cavities. So, if you work yeah, well with sure. them, use them. So yeah, I'm sorry. It's not. It's not a bus compressor. Yeah. All right. Couple more questions. Um, okay. So explain real quick what is dither. Okay. <clears throat> I won't make this super long. Um, the first explanation: what you need to know about dither, you being a recording person. Whenever you go from one format, a higher resolution format, let's say 24-bit, let's say we all work at 24-bit or 32-float, whatever, but say it's 24-bit and you're going to make a CD and you're going to go, which is 16-bit by by standard and design, you want to use dither when you go from 24-bit down to a lower number. You don't want to use dither in other circumstances because dither should only be used once at the very end because it adds up and it doesn't sound better when there's more of it. And that's the only time you should use it. So um, in mixing, the only time you really should use dither is if you're making your client a reference CD to listen to, you may want to put a plug in on uh, like different limiters, like the Waves L2 has IDR. Uh, There are different types types of dither. Um, That's the only time you need to use it. Um, so that's the simple explanation. Uh, the longer explanation, um, comes back to, I think in the 1940s, uh, British Naval air found out that some of their, uh, machinery in their airplanes 
what their clocks were sticking and they wouldn't work well until they planes were in the air and there was all this vibration going on and that vibration made the machine work a little bit better and so later they started adding motors that vibrated and shook the clock mechanisms and hmm. and uh dither means to not make up your mind about what you're doing and it's a british term so that got applied to our our digital thing um dither is noise that is added to a signal to make the transition from a higher resolution to us to a less precise resolution to make that transition more pleasing to the human ear. This is a discussion that can get a little boring, and I will only do a couple more sentences, but, um, and it's better done with PowerPoint and pictures, but <laughs> imagine um, in the PCM, the pulse code modulation audio that we, we work in, because there's more than one kind of digital audio. Mm-hmm. We work in PCM. Imagine that there's a camera eye, and it throws down a metal screen like real fine metal screen light that you'd put in your window to keep flies out or something. Sure. And it does that, say, 44,000 times a second. And there's this voltage that is analog, a real voltage going by the screen. And you use the screen like graph paper and you put dots on it where the voltage is. I'm, I'm oversimplifying. Sure. So that is, say, 24-bit. 16-bit is a much bigger hold screen, like chicken coop wire, like maybe an inch or a centimeter big square, as opposed to these ones that are like half a millimeter apart. Sure. When you throw the graph paper down on that same voltage, uh, it has less areas where it can precisely map where the voltage was living in nature. So what happens is, when they just truncate or just lop off the extra precision that comes with a 24-bit signal, what happens is the resulting reconstructed or stored um, voltage becomes jagged and stair-steppy because the the algorithm goes, it's either on a value that we have in our, our bit depth or it's between them, and it ends up being one or the other and ends up being all stair-steppy. What dither is, is dither, and there are many different ways to do it. You could do a randomized, you can do, you're adding noise to the signal, but they usually shift it out of where the humans hear it, such that when you're doing that transition from a very precise 24-bit down to the 16-bit, you make it less predictable of where that value is going to land on the graph paper. So the resulting uh, curve is less jagged. And what this means is that to the human ear, it sounds smoother. I am greatly oversimplifying this. Sure. Um, if you, there are many white papers that, that talk about it, but I think the thing that people need to know is in the cases, mastering engineers use it, but w- in the cases when you're going from 24 bit down to 16, you use dither. Otherwise don't use dither. Uh, it, it it's noise. You don't want to redither something that's been dithered because that dither can then get louder and louder and make its way into the ear of the listener. So, yeah, and I'm guessing that I mean, from what I can tell, dither is you know not really something that like the uh, the only test that I remember hearing uh, online that someone made was they took a you know like a trumpet or something and they uh, put you know put some reverb on it and then they chopped off the actual trumpet hit to where it was just reverb trail only. Right. That's um, a good good and, test. And then 
they, you know, they printed one, and then they cranked up the gain, you know, by 30 dB or something. And then they put one dither and one not. And it was pretty clear that the one with dither um, sounded better than the one that was not. Um, right. The, the reverb trail was, was kind of weird. It was more audible with the one with dither. It was more, you know, linear. Um, it, it sounded more like, you know, the one without dither almost sounded kind of like it faded or broke up a little bit or something. You know, if that's sort of the idea. Mm, well, and the other thing about that that's really cool uh, is that one of the areas where you, the, the, the dither helps is in the decays of sound as we get closer to our noise floor. And by having the dither in there, it allows sounds that would go into silence or the noise floor of the gear instead of them getting lopped off to is it on or is it not at a 16-bit level. The 24-bit has a higher sensitivity. So adding the dither allows that reverb decay or whatever. It, 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 if you just truncate and go to 16-bit, you lose the depth and the the smoothness of decays, and the dither tries to preserve that. Sure. Um, now, you'll see different types of dither, UV-22, PowerR, IDR. Uh, there are various types, and what they are is ways to add the noise into areas where the human ear is less sensitive to it, but the computer doesn't care either way. It, it just... Uh, uh, so... And so some of the information about them is proprietary and they don't share it and other information like some of the Power R Consortium stuff is available. So um, you can go as far as you want into the dither discussion uh, as an audio engineer. It's totally up to you. But I think you do need to know when you use it and when you don't use it. And if you care to read those white papers, that's good sure. for you. And if not, it's good for you too. So uh, why is it better? I mean, what are the top reasons? Why is it better for you know someone to send off their music to get mastered versus trying to do it themselves and can people do it themselves this is a good question um the number one reason why you hire a mastering engineer isn't our gear and it's not it's that we do this day in day out we listen to multiple albums a day we have never heard your album before. Things that have gotten by you the last hundred times you've listened to a song are very evident to us. Uh, the second reason is we have speakers we trust. The gear is, our experience, ears, and speakers are the, the most important things to us. So when you send it to somebody, we are an external, unbiased person who hasn't heard it before, and things that have gotten past you, either frequency, distortion, or whatever, are obvious to us, and we... It's like why you hire a lawyer in court. You can represent yourself, but you probably shouldn't. And sure. in terms of mastering yourself, well, you can, you, I say this to people, you can drive with your feet, you know, on the highway, you know, one hand foot on the steering wheel and one do it, but that doesn't mean you should. Um, if, if you're doing something and you have to get it out the door and you don't have time, if you're doing something just as a demo and you want to throw stuff on it, there are lots of reasons why you may choose to master it yourself. But um, the real reason you, you send it out to somebody else is that you've heard it 100,000 times. And it's time to get someone who does this for a living all day in and day out to listen to it and go, okay, here's where we can jump on this. Here are the strengths of your album. Here's what we could showcase and go from there. 
even that in and of itself, if the guy didn't even have any gear, if that's what he did, that would be, that'd be the most important thing. Then of course, you know, our gear is optimized, et cetera. But the reason you want to send it to someone else is if everyone you're competing against, every band, even if they're a local band, they may downplay it, but I'll bet their stuff has been mastered by someone who's a dedicated mastering engineer. Sure. And you know, that's, that's what it is. And what I'd say to studio owners, now there are studio owners, I've talked to studio owners for, for 10 years about this. Some, the band says, I have no money, I'm going to master it. I want you to master it, or we're not going to do it, or my friend's going to do it with plugins or whatever. Yeah. And um, I have two types of studio owners. I have ones that say, okay, I'm going to deal with, uh, I'll just do it because they, they put their hands up and say, I can't win with these cats. Um, and the other types uh, put their foot down and say, well, let, let Garrett do one song for you. And, you know, maybe he'll discount a little bit or whatever, but see if you hear the difference. And if you don't, well, then I'll master it for you. Sure. And, and the reason I think that's a good approach is if someone, after I go through the stuff that I do it, if they really don't hear a difference, n no disrespect, either maybe they shouldn't pay me for my services and waste my time, or maybe they're not, they're not, let it go, you know? Yeah. But the thing about, that I'd say to studio owners is the, for the people, there are people that say, I can't afford to lose that work. And this is a third type of studio owner. They're the ones that like we master here because I recorded it and I mixed it and I know what I can do. And I, I need that money. I honestly think that for those folks listening, it'd be really interesting to compare what your albums would sound like if they were mastered by somebody else versus you and how much money you would get because people would say, listen, how good that record is. It came out of this studio or that studio. Yeah. When you master it yourself, I don't think you're getting it as good as it could be. That's just, you know, I'm biased because that's how I make my living. But yeah. Um, but there are examples of when it's right for you as the artist to master yourself, but there are times when it's not the right thing. So it really depends. Um, and I th the answer with so much in audio is it depends and then you start yeah. into it. But, um, I'm not super expensive. There are other mastering engineers that aren't super expensive. There are people that are 200 a song. You know, expensive means different things to different people. So sure. I don't want to. There are there are mastering engineers that are $1,200 a song, and there are some that charge by the hour. So, and there are some that are peanuts a song. You know, so yeah. I, I just want to say if this you've gone this far and you've invested so much time and money to get it done recorded and mixed relatively speaking we're a fraction of the money you've spent already and very good use of it do yeah. it and get a professional who does that but yeah i know uh, that when i uh, you know if a band tells me you know well we just can't afford it blah 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 you know i tell them usually the first thing i tell them is okay well i'm not going to listen to your mixes for like 2 weeks you know cuz i'm like yeah i'll master yeah. it but I got to step away from it because I, I've heard it so much now, you know, and that's like just a thing that I do. I'm like, listen, I, I have got to step away from this. And so that's sort of the price that they pay, you know, not money, but time. Right. You know, so I tell them, hey, you can send it to this guy and, you know, or that guy or whoever they can afford and right. it, it'll get done quicker and it'll probably sound better. But if you really can't afford it, then you're just going to have to wait, you know, wait so I can, you know, do other projects, get it off my mind for a little bit and then come back. Um, well, so I think that's one of the only things you can do if, if they're forcing you to master it. One of the things you have to do is step away from it 
for a period of time. Sure. Um, so now, so if if someone wanted to get into mastering um, and, you know, they say, you know, I want to learn more about it or I want to do it as my career, you know, what, what do you think is the first logical step? I mean, just start doing it or, you know, listen to lots of albums or... Um, I, I would, I would listen to podcasts like this and, t and find interviews with other mastering engineers that where they talk about how they got into it, because a lot of us get into it different ways. Um, there's some real famous people that never wanted to do this and they just wanted to work in a studio and they got called into it and then that's where they landed. Um, I wanted to be a tracking person and possibly mixing. I really liked working with bands. I really like placing mics and spending three hours figuring out new ways to record things. But I was doing a studio in my house like so many people do and I start getting mastering and restoration jobs and then more of them. And so those jobs came in and I realized that the music industry is like a whitewater rafting ride. You, you're lucky to be staying afloat on the raft. You don't have a lot of control about where you're going except that way. Sure. And, and for me, I got to the point where the number of mastering clients that were coming in versus the tracking clients was disproportional. So at that point I started selling my gear and allocating it more towards the mastering type thing. Sure. And um, that's how that's how I got into it. There are other people that have interned with mastering houses <clears throat> in big cities and then apprenticed and then became mastering engineers. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. This is one of those last industries that it is the Wild West. I don't know. You certainly can't go to college for mastering. Yeah. Um, and I had the, the unfair advantage of writing with tape op that I was always doing interviews or talking to mastering engineers. And so I could ask them questions. I find that mastering engineers are a little bit more open than mixing folks are because um, mixing folks, their mix is their signature and it's their livelihood. Whereas mastering will share secrets a little more. But I found that guys would answer questions for me, especially the more senior guys. Mm -hmm. who I couldn't threaten if I worked for a hundred years. So see if you can sit in with the mastering person or see what they'll tell you or, and then you've got to find people that let you, I hate to say it, you've got to do hundreds of albums before you get the hang of it. So sure. And I mean, <clears throat> a, as a mixer, I'm sure one of the best things you can do to really understand what mastering can do is to get your stuff mastered. Yeah. What's really unfair for mixing engineers is your, you, you, people bring in CDs. They want you to, to match. And the problem is that's been through how many thousands of hours and years of mastering. And so what you really need is their unmastered mixes, Yeah, you know, and that's just really unfair, but yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not being more specific, but no. in this field, it's, you kind of have to get in and do it and find ways to get your questions answered. Uh, there are some mastering, uh, discussion groups on the web and they're not all created equal. Some are not helpful at all, and others, there are guys on there that'll tell you just about anything. So, yeah. well, cool. This uh, last, this last couple questions are just like rapid fire gear questions. You sure. Know, to think of, you know, um, you know. So, what is your go-to choice for the following uh, monitors? I I use Dunleavy's, but there are a lot out there of monitors I would I like the Klein and Hummel that is now branded as Neumann they make some killer monitors barefoot gosh there's so many so many good monitors out there but you have to you have to hear them in your room with your ears before you can ever make a decision okay sure um 
EQ, analog, and plugin. Um, analog. I like the. I have a couple of a different Neve EQs. One that he did with Summit Audio, and one he did in the Masterpiece because it's not sterile, but it's not uh, boring. It's an, but it's not over goopy either, like a Pultec might be. Sure. Uh, it's musical, and I don't know how he pulls it off. So I'd say Mr. Neve for that um, plug in. Um, well, when especially mixing, I love the Sonox EQ because there are five EQs in it. Um, I like that. I also love the uh, Universal Audio's um, Precision EQ. Gotcha. Which they don't disclose what EQ it's monitored after, but it, boy, it looks like a Sontech to me. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, what about compressor? Oh, um, and there's a separate. I, I have a separate one for limiter, so you can uh, compressor. I, um, I like the OCL two at times by Pendulum. Um, I also like the the Manly Variable Mu at times. Um, I've used the API twenty five hundred, which I liked. Um, I've also used uh, what was another one I liked a lot. Um, the Cranesong STC eight. Um, one of the things about in mastering is sometimes you need a compressor that you don't know is working. Um, and sometimes you need one that sounds like a hammer hit, hit an egg. Sure. What about limiter for, I, and I guess when I say limiter, I mean like for your final, you know, limiting stage. I use the TC electronic system 6,000 because the guys who did those algorithms are the ones that wrote that white paper for AES about inner sample, uh, peaks uh which what that's talking about is you can have three samples that together are you know minus one tenth of a db below full scale but when they're reconstructed in some digital to analog converters they can end up clipping the converter because of the math involved so they have like a little algorithm in there that knocks down peaks three tenths of a db if you ever get three in a row without you knowing it it's so cool yeah i like that what about stereo widening i mean do you ever do you ever even use stereo widening or like mid-side processing in any way i use mid-side a good bit to solve eq problems like when i can't get to somebody but i don't use it unless i need to um but it because there's some impacts to panning when you reconstruct things with mid-side um in terms of widening, stereo widening almost always gets me in trouble with the clients because it changes your middle section sure. of where the vocals are. Um, so I don't do it unless a client asks, but the K-Stereo processor that Bob Katz developed, he has a patent on it now. The patent finally came through. I had the hardware, and then I switched to the hard, the software version now that Universal Audio has it in their Precision K-Stereo. does not... It's really cool. You can tweak with it all day. It makes things deeper. It makes things wider. Uh, you can overuse it. But that man gave us all a tool that is wonderful. And I think if I were a mix engineer, I'd get that to put on buses, maybe. Um, hmm. If I were a mix engineer, I'd also get that Shadow Hills compressor plug-in from UAD because... The real one costs eight thousand dollars, and yeah. the plug-in cost because there's the uh, three transformers in there. Even if you shut the compressors off, those transformers are so cool in that plug-in. Um, and I'd put one on guitars and one on drums, and I digress. So gotcha. I what about a, okay? The last one I've got is 
for meter metering. So like if someone oh. you know you you know you you mentioned you know you'd like people to you know send you a mix that had an RMS of negative twelve or whatever. Um, what you know? Are there any plugins or anything that you you would consider an accurate meter where people can legitimately see? Oh. You know, I know that there's like different weighting and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, right? Um, what, anything anything you suggest for for mon- for metering your mix? Um, I personally have hardware duro meters that I would not want to have to work without, but they are like five or six hundred a piece, and you need two. Um, there are several out there that are free or low cost um, that I can dig up for you real quick. Um, Sonoris has one that only, I think, works on PC, and I'm going to tell you, it is called, I think it's called Meter. And let me see if it works on Mac. But what's great about the Sonoris Meter plugin is it works on Windows and VST, um, is it has the it has peak RMS has the K stereo system, but it also has a white noise generator, so you could set your speakers to eighty five. It'll it'll shoot white noise through your speakers, so you don't need to get a generator. Sure. Um, and I'm not sure if that costs money or any what that guy costs. I think he might be. F- I don't know. Um, Vox and Go, V-O-X-E-N-G-O, I think is a Russian plug-in company that makes really nice stuff. They have a meter called, where is it under? They they have a meter. There's is it, one is called it Span. Uh, Span? Span, S-P-A-N. That works on Windows and Mac. Stillwell Audio, who are the folks who are involved with helping Reaper, the DAW of Reaper, uh, uh, Stillwell Audio, they have um, a meter. The meter we use here at our studio is the one that the the Dynamics Institute, the Pleasurize uh, Dynamics folks do. And I'm trying to see. It's free if you're a member of that group. Let me look that up. Um, it's called Pleasure. It's called DynamicRange.de. Because I think they're, uh, and they have a meter called the TT Dynamic Range Meter, and it gives you peak, uh, as well as RMS. It gives you, it can give you stereo RMS peak or midside, uh, and Algorithmics and Techmeyer Technology, Tischmeyer De- Technology made that plugin, and they give that to you for free if you join. Now, I don't think it costs to join, so it's the dynamicrange.de website. They have a really nice meter. That's what everybody here uses. Gotcha. Um, so that's free. So a lot of these meters are free. Um, Sequoia has one that's for free with the software. Waves also has stuff in there, um, their PaaS analyzer. And then Isotope has Insight, which is kind of pricey, but it also involves, it has the broadcast metering that's that deals with the Calm Act, which is the comprehensive audio loudness monitoring thing that goes on the there are meters out there that are free depending on what platform you're on and you should get one and you should set up your monitoring system so you know where 84 is so that you protect your ears so that you can be doing this for you know maybe we'll live to 150 and you want to be working so protect your hearing man i really appreciate you spending the time uh to talk with me today and answer some questions about mastering i hope that it's given some people some things to think about and Hopefully it will improve their mixes. Hopefully they'll think a little bit yeah. more about, you know, the importance of mastering and, you know, there's experience and there is gear, yes, but there's experience and there's um, time spent 
you know, just like anything, you spend a lot of time doing one thing and you get good at it. Um, right. And, and, you know, you don't spend all your time mixing, you spend your time mastering. And there's a reason that you have a studio for mastering. Right. Um, and that's what I do, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, people, I think all these, these, uh, these computer things you can do at home, uh, the recording and that, I think that is phenomenal for demoing. I think you can find out what songs are good for you as a band and whittle them down and say, we're going to do this three, we're going to do this nine, we're going to do this one. And then you go into a studio with someone who knows about how their gear works and gain staging. And then you, then you get the most out of your money, but don't think just cause you got a demo in your basement. If it's really good, go to a studio, go to a local studio and have them track you for a day. But if you've done your demo work, you won't spend three days. You're saving all kinds of money. Sure. But, uh, you know, it's why you, you, you know, you could pull your teeth with a bottle of whiskey and some pliers too, but go to somebody who does it for a living. And if your art's really good, you really owe it to yourself and to your listeners to work with the best people you can afford time and money wise. And it'll be really have results. You can give your grandkids and say, listen, how good this record is, you know, sure. No one's ever going to sign you saying, wow, that imagine how good that is. And they did that in their basement. No, because all the demos that they're getting at the record labels and that are done in a studio. Yeah. I mean, the demos. No one ever. That's the thing. I mean, I have a friend who's uh, who's got a record deal and a publishing deal in Nashville. And I mean, he spent three or four thousand dollars making a demo. And when he gave it to him, they said, cool. All right. Let's have our people redo it. Like they didn't even. They didn't even blink. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't right. like, oh, this is good enough to release. Let's release it. it. They just said we're going to redo it. And in fact, though, if he wouldn't have done that, he may not have gotten in the door, though. Exactly. Um, but and, and you know, I'll tell you what. It's it's a semi sore spot, but I I've made my peace with it. The number of bands I did their their album that got them their major record deal, and then they say, well, okay, we're gonna go to Ted Jensen or Greg Calby, and they're gonna master it. it it's hard because you took them to the dance, but they t- but at the same token, the fact is. Ted Jensen and Greg Calby were mastering records when I was in junior high. And, you sure. know, maybe someday some kid who's in junior high now will be mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but th- just, you know, it is what it is. And, it, you know, that's the way that that's the way change the things you can change and accept the things you can't and move on. So sure. I guess one one last question I forgot to ask is, mm-hmm. has the the whole generation of singles, you know, buying individual songs like on iTunes, has that changed your job a lot? Um, well, a couple of things with that. I have a lot more people coming in with just one song now than I did before. And I, it's cool. I get to work with different people and more people. I, I like working um, as a record where you sit down and someone digests it, first song, second song, third song, et cetera. Sure. But the world is changing, and so we do both. Um, the new thing that's going on with Apple, um, and it's not been very widely broadcast, is Apple, they know that the compression algorithms that are used, whether it's MP3 or Apple's AAC, it throws away information in order to get you a file size you can deal with. And since people listen on uh, earphones that don't even uh, recreate all the frequencies. There's no way they would know that they're not getting the whole picture. You know, it's like going to the Grand Canyon and putting and looking at it through a paper towel uh, tube. You know, but you don't know. You know, because of the little earbuds. 
Apple started a new thing called Mastered for iTunes, which um, traditionally Apple had taken the 16-bit CD from the record company and they throw away 80% of it to make the AAC file that they sell on iTunes. And they do a nice job given how much they throw away, but it doesn't sound nearly as good as the CD and certainly not even remotely as good as the 24-bit files we work at in the studio. So what they've started doing is allowing certain mastering houses and approved mastering engineers submit 24-bit files instead of 16-bit files. Hmm. And, you know, by way of comparison, if 16-bit was as tall as a stack of paper, like a, a ream of 500 sheets of paper, like a couple inches tall um, on the ground, a 24-bit file would be four stories tall. That's how much more information is in a 24-bit file. Hmm. That's, a great, um, that's a great image. Uh, there have been a couple different ones that people have come up with. That's the one I like because it's like, would you rather jump off of a ream of paper and land on your feet or jump off a four-story building? Well, you know, so um, in blind tests, the mastered for iTunes files that are made with the 24-bit file, people can't tell them from an actual CD being played in a CD player. That's how close they are hmm. to... The sound. And so that's a really cool thing. And we've been doing that with people. It costs a little bit more. I charge like $11 a song to do that um, because I have to go and optimize the master for the iTunes encoder. Apple gave us tools that allow us to hear what it's going to sound like. And so uh, that encoder has to be, you have to optimize the compression for the encoder before it gets it. Now, um, when you get, like, let's say someone, I'm sure this happens a lot, um, or maybe not a lot, some or whatever. If you ever get situations where someone says, hey, you know, I want you to master one song, and then you master the song, and then they say, um, okay, now will you master the rest of the album? And in those cases, do you actually re charge them to remaster the first one, you know, or is it usually a case where they say, bring the others up to this level? Um, it depends. If I did the first song, if they paid me to do the first song and then they give me the whole record, if they do that, like within six months, I don't charge to remaster that song. Um, but if they come a year later, I, I have to charge them probably because things have you know, changed or whatever. Sure. Uh, um, sometimes I will master a song for free if I'm convinced that the people are not buffaloing me and there's a shootout or uh, they'll give me two weeks to do it if they're not pressing me. It depends. Yeah. And in those cases, if they, they give me the album and I didn't charge them, then I would charge them when I get the project. But usually I charge for the one song and then they get credit for it. If they hire me, they don't have to pay for it again. Sure. But every mastering engineer, some people charge by the song, some charge by the hour, some charge by the song and the hour. You have to... With whomever you hire, you have to find out what his or her pricing scale is. Sure. We're all different, yeah. Well, I guess the only other thing uh, is uh, if you wouldn't mind, in addition on some of those links or whatever that you're going to send on the email, um, if you could send some, you know, some of the notable artists that you might have worked with that if people would know or whatever, you know. Yeah, I, I just know. did the new Star Death and the White Dwarfs album. They're like uh, related to the the what do you call it? the the flaming lips and they they were on warner and i don't know the, what's going on with the new album and um 
did stuff we won a Grammy with with the uh, with his Oklahoma band, the Sugar Free All Stars. I used to live in Oklahoma City, and I do a lot of Oklahoma work. Sure. Um, and uh, I used to, well, I lived in when I lived in Tulsa. I lived on the water down. I only lived there for like four months, and then I moved down to Oklahoma City uh, for a couple years. Gotcha. So, yeah. So. Um, Especially liked it in January, I'll tell you. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, I do. A, and I and Watermelon Slim, who travels through Oklahoma, I've done a, a lot of Oklahoma artists. Goodness, um, so maybe I come winter, I will move. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but I'll send you that stuff too. So sure. Well, again, thanks for uh, for spending time today, and uh, good luck with your career. And but thank you so much. I had fun talking to you today. Sure. And email anytime, dude. I love to talk about stuff. Yeah, will do. All right, I'll let you go. I'll let you get to work. You got it, man. Be well. Bye-bye. You too. See ya. So I hope you guys have taken away something from all this info that Garrett has given. He's a great person. He's just a great human being. If you have questions about mastering, go email him. He's uh, the head mastering engineer over at Tree Lady Studios. And if you are in need of mastering... Um, you know, one thing Garrett said in the show that I, I think is so true that I really want to get across is the, one of the main reasons to send your stuff off to be mastered is not for the gear necessarily. It's for the person and being a different person, being someone outside of the project that has never heard it before. Because like Garrett said, you know, things that you have not heard um, for the weeks or months that you've been working on it might jump out immediately to someone like Garrett. You know, he might say, wow, they is, did they mean to do that? Or, or you know, because I can clearly hear the, an issue in, you know, this frequency range or whatever. But you are so used to it at that point, you do not hear it. It's literally like ingrained in your brain. So, you know, whether you send it off to, to wherever, like it's a good idea to send it to somebody else. Um, you know, and if you're in a super tight budget, even sending it to your friend or, you know, saying, okay, it's done being mixed. I'm going to, you know, put it away for two weeks and then come back to it to master only and put yourself in the, in that space, you know, confine yourself. You know, if you've got a little more of a budget, you know, again, if you need mastering, I can do mastering, uh, for a pretty low project studio rate. And, um, I love doing it. I am, I'm, uh, I do it pretty often and I've been doing it for some podcast listeners too. So I'm always, I'm always happy to help podcast listeners with that, especially if they're on tight budgets. You know, uh, if you got a little bit more of a budget, you can go to Garrett over at Tree Lady who is, you know, above me and he knows his stuff. He's got great equipment, great ears, lots of experience. And if you've got a super high budget, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, you can spend as much as you want on mastering. There are guys that charge $800 a song for mastering. Um, they will go unnamed, but I have uh, had one band with a pretty high budget and they said, we want, you know, the best mastering engineer we can afford. I looked up some quotes. I talked to some managers and I said, okay, you know, what, what's, what does this guy charge over at, you know, big name studio X in this city, big, you know, and uh, they would send me a quote back. Okay, how many songs? Okay, three songs, four songs, whatever. And, you know, it would be $3,000 for, for four songs. And it's like, wow, that's like $900 a song. Um, but so you can spend a lot of money, but just make a point to budget for it. Don't ignore it. Mastering is not a joke. It's not like hocus pocus. It's not this dark art that's just, you know, uh, bull crap. You know what I mean? Like it's a real thing. It's a real thing that can take a good mix and make it great and make it sound like a record. 
Um, it can get it loud. It can get it balanced. It can get the whole thing sounding a little closer to what you always imagined it to be. And a lot of times the mixer cannot always do that um, unless he takes his time and has the experience to step away from it for a little while and you know and do that. If you want to learn more about mastering, again, email me, email Garrett, check out some forums, check out some books. Um, there are lots of great interviews. I would I would say that probably the best way to learn about mastering is to read interviews with people, listen to other podcasts, listen to this podcast. I, you know, it's it's not a competition. I don't care. You know, point is, listen, read, learn. You know, I you can't do any better for yourself. I think in in life than to learn and be a student constantly of anything, whether that's a student of. You know, uh, your hobbies, a student of your job, a student of your marriage, of your friends, of, you know, be learning, be like aware of where you are in your situation. You know, like I know I don't mean to be all philosophical on you, but the point is like if you're not learning something every day, you're moving backwards. You're not standing still. You are moving backwards. So, you know, the only way to really succeed, especially in this business that is very fast paced, is to keep up and to always be learning. And um, mastering is a little, little harder to understand for some people, um, and for others it makes complete sense. But the same goes for mixing. The same goes for engineering. You know, I know guys that are great at mixing, but they don't know the first thing about recording. And to me, that's kind of baffling in, in one way because I'm like, they kind of go hand in hand. I, I get them both. Is am I just weird like that? Am I? Is that make me special? I, I don't know. But. A lot of guys that are doing it at home, a lot of you guys that are doing, they have you kind of have to be a jack of all trades because, you know, sometimes, like Garrett said, it feels like the Wild West, like no one's out there to help you. Well, I can tell you guys, I am here to help you. The reason I'm doing this show is I don't I don't make a dime doing this show. I, I can tell you that. I mean, sure, I get connections with this show and I have, uh, you know, people that I can sell my book to and, you know, people that might take advantage of my mixing and mastering services, but... I don't make any money just doing the show and I spend hours doing the show and part of the reason is because when I started, I had nothing really. I, there were a couple of podcasts, like one or two out there, but you know, they were kind of like for like super noob people that didn't know anything about it and I was like, okay, well, I've been doing it for a while now. I, I know more than this, but I want to learn more. So really all I could do is read books and read more books and read interviews and you know, finally, the best decision I ever made was going full time and just saying, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to make the sacrifice. I'm not going to make a lot of money for a while. You know, uh, granted, that was before I got married. So, you know, I, I was a little, was a little more freed up for those types of things. But, um, you know, even guys that are married, you know, uh, I think it's hilarious. I, I remember watching an interview with Bruce Wadeen, legendary producer, and uh, they asked him at one point, you know, what's the secret to your success? And he said, a good woman. And it, it's funny because this is a very strange career. It takes a lot of time, a lot of hours, and it's not really understood by a lot of people. And I, I feel for you guys that are trying to do this, whether you're a musician, whether you're doing this as a hobby, whether you're trying to make it your job, whether you do make it your job, um, whether you're worlds above me or worlds below me, or it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. This isn't a competition. You know, I am here to try to develop a community and try to give people answers and answer questions that, you know, we can talk about. 
And even if you don't agree with me, that's okay too. You know, there are so many methods to do these things. You know, that's that's why I'm trying to do this show and keep people involved. So be a part of the community. Come over to the Facebook page. Uh, get involved. You know, ask questions. Um, send me an email. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash recording lounge. It's that simple. Um, my email is recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com. And uh, feel free, just about anything, podcast ideas, questions, um, gear questions, you know, what should I buy? Uh, can you listen to my mix? Can, you know, can you master my song? Can you mix my song? All of those things. I'm going to try to be a resource for you guys. So um, I love getting responses from you guys. I love hearing about uh, what you're doing on the Facebook. I like getting questions from you and, and answering them however I can. And I like doing shows that you guys want to hear. So I got a lot of requests for a mastering show. So I hope that this has um, been helpful. Um, and uh, pretty soon I'm going to have a cool little series called uh, Let's Mix and Master a Song. And it will be going through a song from a guy named Mark Pierce. And we'll talk more about that in the show. But um, we'll be mixing it from scratch. And it, it is a pretty simple song. It, uh, a lot of it was done with, um, you know, VST instruments or uh, sample drums or whatever. So, yes, it could be a lot more difficult. Um, it, I could have been mixing a much more complicated song. Uh, it, was, it was a fairly easy song to mix. It's about 25 tracks, I think. Um, but... Or somewhere around there, but the point is, it, it kind of at least will guide you through the process a little and show you what goes through my head, and you'll hear some insight that maybe you haven't heard before. So I'm really excited to share that with you guys. That should be coming within a week or so. I'm actually going to release them all at once. Um, I am not going to wait. I'm not going to do them, uh, you know, one per month or whatever. I'm just going to release them all at once um, because uh, I'm going to work on that, and and I'm tired of making you guys wait so long. I've been super busy and I've had a little bit of a lull in my business lately. Uh, the end of the year is always a little slower, so I have a little more time to sort of work on the podcast and uh, and get involved. So again, be a part of the community, ask questions, meet other people, you know, in, in the Recording Lounge community. I, I really would love for um, the community to grow and for it not to be so weird like, you know, I, I feel like Facebook is like this uh, weird final frontier, like awkward 10-year high school reunion where everyone's standing around like, hey, hey, I don't I don't care about you at all. And, you know, that's just weird. I don't want Facebook to be that way. I don't want Facebook, I don't want, you know, the internet to turn into this sort of awkward social, like, AA meeting or something. I want the community on Facebook to be a place where you can answer questions and, you know, heck, I don't care, sell gear, you know, hey, I've got this, whatever. I know that I've got a lot of podcast listeners from all over the world and um, I wish more of them would get involved. So if you're listening right now, go over to the Facebook page. Just like the page. You don't really have to comment, you know, often or anything. But feel free, you know. It's a great place to learn there too. And um, so I'm excited about the things to come in the future. And I'm excited to share these new shows with you guys. And I'm always open to suggestions. So send me an email. Check out the Facebook the blog is recordinglounge.blogspot.com. I'm going to be updating that pretty soon with a new post, so I'll keep you guys posted on that. Um, another thing I should mention, if you're not a fan of the Facebook page, that is usually where I update You know when the shows have been released. Um, so you should see it on your news feed and whatever. Um, so anyway, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you have other questions about mastering that you, know, you would rather send to Garrett, 
go for it. Go over to Tree Lady Mastering's website and email Garrett. Tell him, you know, thank thank Garrett for, uh, you know, or even check out his Facebook, the Facebook page. Thank Garrett for doing this interview. You know, he he works hard, and he did not have to sit down with me for three hours and do this. I mean, he didn't have to do that at all. So I'm very appreciative of him to give what info he could. And so send him a thank you. Tell him that, uh, you know, Kendall's podcast uh, was helpful to you. Tell him that you learned a lot. Tell him that you appreciate what he's doing. Um, and if again, if you need freelance, uh, if you need me to mix or master a song for you, feel free. If you need Garrett to master a song for you, feel free because he's the man. All right, guys. I'll talk to you next time.